0: Let's go back to James 1 and do a part two last week, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And today, last Sunday night we looked at let every man be swift to hear. Uh, some strategies for learning to listen to one another. If we're going to love our neighbor, We'll need to listen to our neighbor. If we're going to love our spouse, we'll listen to our spouse we're going to love our children and our grandchildren, we're going to listen to them. we love our parents, we're going to listen to them. If you don't love your parents, listen to your parents. <laughs> but we listening is part of loving people. So we looked at that last week. This week, let every man be slow to speak. There are times when we ought to speak, times when we ought to say something, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Before I pray, um, let me m- mention two things that I heard in the testimonies. It was a blessing to me. Billy was referring to... Last week, they sang, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And then God brings a set of circumstances into Billy's life to teach him the lessons of that song. I've said this before. The music that you sing is your med- is part, part of your meditation. And here Billy is meditating on what a friend we have in Jesus, how we can forfeit our peace because we don't go to him. And then, of course, the Lord has his battery run out. Right. Has the tire go flat? Has your child get sick? Uh, you can't sleep for some odd reason. And what he's doing is he's 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 reinforcing the lessons that he's teaching us. And I'm glad that Billy saw that. Um, how many of you will pray for Billy that he'll get on the ball and preach to us someday? Yeah. OK, amen. Good. OK, you saw it right there. I've talked to him about it and you can talk to him. You, you figure it out. But um, I've asked him to, to prepare a sermon that would be a blessing to us. I've asked several other men to do that as well. And um, if I haven't asked you yet, men, probably in the next month or two, I'm going to be asking. Somebody said to me, well, you're tired of preaching? No, 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 no. Have you ever noticed that when you have to get up here and preach and feed God's people, how much you grow, how much you learn? All of a sudden it's real. And so that's why some of you more mature men, I'm going to be just coming to you and saying, hey. And if I don't come to you, don't feel like, well, I must be immature. No, I may just have overlooked you. I don't know. Uh, But uh, just to give you an opportunity uh, to speak to us. One of the things we're doing here is we're training people. Mm -hmm. We're not just finding a couple of people really good at what they do and then they just do it all the time. We really want to train people. I'm looking forward to some of the young people who are learning musical instruments to play for us here in the next few months. And uh, why? We're training people. Um, I I don't consider myself the best singer, especially in small groups. I love congregational singing because you can mess up and nobody notices except (laughs) Billy. He's right here next to me. Um, It's a little bit different when you're in small groups singing, but we're training people how to sing. We're we're putting people, we're putting our young people in the junior church program and and in the children's church program with responsible adults. Don't worry, they're not by themselves, but with responsible adults because we're training them in the ministry. And uh, that's one of the things we're doing here, training, training people. Um, uh, Christina remarked on our marriages. Our marriages are a reflection of Jesus Christ's relationship to this church. And one of the ways that our lights are going to shine brightly in the coming decades is the proper biblical relationships that our husbands and wives have. Because you're not going to see that without the grace of God. The natural man doesn't do well in marriage. And that's why you hear people say, well, humans are, 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 didn't evolve to be monogamous. Well, actually, sin has wrecked us, so yeah, we're not monogamous. It's God's grace that helps any one of us to be the husband, men that we ought to be, wives to be the, the ladies to be the wives we ought to be. And if we are not, if our, if our um, marriages do not reflect that relationship between Christ and the church, it's like we're putting our candle under a bushel, yeah. and it's not going to shine. Our children need to see that proper relationship between a husband and wife because they're not going to see it out there. They're not going to go to the local high school and figure it out, are they? They're not going to find it in the mall. They're not going to find it in books or online. If, they, if my children don't see the proper relationship between a husband and wife, in my, between me and my wife, where are they going to see it? So if you're, if you're married, if God's called you to marriage, let me really encourage you to pray and ask God to change you so you can be the spouse that, that God wants you to be. And then, yes, bring your cast, all your cares upon him, free cares for you. If your spouse has a problem, tell God about it. But we, we talked about this Wednesday night, we men decided we can't change our lives. All we can do is ask God to help them be the husbands that we ought to be and i'm sure you wives already figured out you can't change us (laughs) james 1 19 let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man not the righteousness of god we're going to focus on that slow to speak it doesn't say we never speak it says we ought to be slow to speak so we're going to focus on that in a minute father Thank you for these husbands and wives that love each other and they love you and they want their marriages to be a reflection of that relationship between Christ and his church. And I pray particularly for those spouses, maybe their husband or their wife doesn't care as much as they do about the marriage being a reflection of Christ and the church. And sometimes they feel like it's all on them. I pray that you'd encourage them, give them grace as they see in your word how they can do what's right even if their spouse does not. I pray for those that you've called so far to be single, that they would rejoice in being single because you called them there. They'd be content with the, with the, um, with the place you put them in life. That as a church, we wouldn't treat them as second-class Christians, which they're not. But we'd understand that some of us you've called to marriage, some of us you've called to singleness, and that we would be content in the place that you put us. And then, Lord, for those that you've called to singleness currently, but you have a spouse for them, I pray that they'd be patient that they wait on you, not rush into something uh, just in some vain effort to fill an emotional void. But they truly learned to delight in you, be content with their relationship with you, and allow you to bring uh, their future husband, their future wife in your time. And give us parents, especially those of us that are parents, of uh, teenagers and young adults give us wisdom in directing our kids and loving them and helping them see uh, how to get from here to there and, and what your plan is for their lives even though we don't know everything we thank you lord for giving us wisdom so that we can be a, a, a direction a director for them for these young people maybe not so much involved with our church but that are on the periphery that they don't have christian parents would you give them a grace for that mm-hmm. and, Help them through. I think of Nan and her testimony and how you gave her grace to to respond correctly to the injustices of life, the difficulties, the trials of life, and provided her with a husband and children. Thank you, Lord. Um, Do that again for our young people that are without Christian parents or who have uncommitted Christian parents. We pray that as we come to the word, your word, your message to us, that our hearts would be open to truth, that we would not come with our preconceived notions about what it should say, that we'd be humble, we'd be teachable. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, words are like an automobile. That is, they carry stuff. But you've noticed, too, that automobiles can be deadly weapons if used incorrectly. And our tongue, James says in in James chapter 3, is a world of fire. Uh, uh, Our tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity is how uh, it's described in James chapter 3. So we ought to be very careful with our our tongues. I remember having a friend once, uh, I was in high school, he was in high school, and he was uh, driving a car, he was driving an old Volkswagen Beetle. This would have been in the late 80s, so it wouldn't have been as old as it would be today. But he had a Volkswagen Beetle. He was driving on one of these big freeways in Southern California when the steering wheel came off. <laughs> he had been working on the steering column himself and somehow he bolted it in, he said backwards. I don't know how you bolted it backwards, but he bolted it backwards, maybe Daniel would understand. And so instead of being secured to the steering column, when he gave it a little yank, this just came right off the steering column. And here he had a steering wheel in his hands, but he couldn't control the car. You know, that's sometimes how our tongues are, isn't it? Well, they're just out of control. I just can't help myself. The truth is we're called to guard our tongues, to be intentional when we speak. And uh, that's what we're going to look at today. Slow to speak. How our speech can be a blessing to others and not a curse. If you just turn over a page, in my Bible it's a page. James 3, verse 9. And... Ten, Therewith bless we God, even our Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. What he's calling us there to do is to use our tongues for good. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So sometimes I think we have this idea that, well, I just won't say anything. Well, there is a time for silence. We're going to look at that first today. But there is also a time to say the right thing. What does Proverbs tell us? A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. There is a right word that can just really change a person's day. Have you ever been going through a day and maybe you're distracted and you're a little bit distressed, stressed, whatever, and and then somebody says a kind word, an encouraging word to you, and it's like the sun comes out. And all of a sudden, okay, yeah, you know, today's going to be rough, but God's going to give me grace and I'm ready. Just, Just a word. And we want to have that word that is fitly spoken. Now, when it comes to slow to speak, the idea here is to be deliberate And careful in our speech. In um, the story, the the historical event where Paul is traveling from um, Caesarea to Rome because he's been he's appealed to to Caesar, so he's traveling from Caesarea to Rome. It talks about the ship sailing slowly in Acts chapter twenty-seven. Same word here: slow to speak. It's not that they were sailing slowly because you know they were bored. It was because they were being deliberate. They were going against the wind, and they could have just turned the boat around and sailed really fast in the wrong direction. But instead, in order to accomplish their goal, to get to their appointed place, they had to be careful and deliberate in how they handled the ship. The same thing is true with our mouths. It's not that we just, okay, I'm not, not going to say anything. It's that we just can't give free rein to whatever our minds want our tongues to do, because that usually is the wrong thing. So we're going to be deliberate, we're going to be careful in our speech. We want to use our words intentionally and to have a purpose when we speak. So the first thing, the first thing that we may do with our mouths is just to be silent. Um, we're going to look at a lot of verses today, but the first one is Proverbs 17 28. And if you have trouble getting there before I get there and read read it, just write this down. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says this. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. When I think of this verse, in my own life, this is the thing I think of. This is the first thing that comes to my mind. And that is, I used to be a part of, a, 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 of an organization, a church, that had quite a few staff and so we'd have these staff meetings and we had a pretty smart pastor he was you know he he knew what he was talking about and he'd throw a topic for discussion out there and sometimes i noticed not sometimes most of the time the youngest guy would have the most to say about the topic and was the least helpful because he really didn't know what he was talking about but somehow he felt like he needed to show that he was worthy of sitting at the table because he had something to say I, I can tell you how he would have looked more likely to be worthy of sitting at the table. He would have kept his mouth shut and listened. He could have learned. But instead, he just throws out whatever idea comes to his mind first. I made it a habit, not typically not to say anything unless somebody called on me and said, Hey, what do you think, Scott? Or unless I was really, really sure that what I had to say was what everyone else needed to hear. Which, frankly, wasn't very often Even a fool, when he holdeth this peace, is counterwise. wise. So we want to be careful that we don't just talk because we feel like we need to say something. Often that's where we get ourselves into trouble. If you're not sure (laughs) what to say, you don't have to say anything. When someone is grieving, sometimes the best thing is not to say anything at all. When somebody is confused and they bring their confusion to you, they say, here's my problem, and you don't know what the solution is, don't make something up. Just say, whoa, wow. We need to pray for wisdom on that. Because maybe there's nothing more to be said. Americans, I'm, I, I, maybe this is true with other cultures too. I'm an American, so Americans sometimes feel like the best thing we can do is fill the silence with speech. We just can't sit there and yeah. think we've got to fill the silence with speech. No, that's not true. The real one person said the real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing in the right place, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. And I bring you Job's friends in the book of Job. Job is suffering. I mean, he's been through it. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his children. In chapter two, his wife says, curse God and die. So he's estranged from his wife at best. And his friends show up. And, and if you've read the text carefully, how does anyone remember how many days do Job's friends just sit there with him and say nothing? I think it's seven, but it's a long time. It's multiple days. They're just sitting there. There's nothing said. And then Job opens up his mouth, and in chapter 3, chapter 3, and 4, he just pours out all his pain and his bitterness. And you know what Job's friends should have said about that time? Job, we feel so sorry. And left it at that. But no, they've got to solve the problem. Well, Job, let's find out what your sin is. I mean, you've got to have sinned somewhere along the line. That's where they get into trouble. Instead of just listening. Instead of silence. Instead of waiting on the Lord, they want to put something in there. There is a time to speak. But there's also a time not to say anything. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time for speech and there's a time for silence. And asking the Lord for wisdom, sometimes it's better not to say anything at all. Here's the second thing that we're going to do with our words. And one is silence. Number two is signal. That is, we're going to speak words that warn others and say, watch out, beware, be careful. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. Let's flip over there here. Second Peter 317 says this. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He's giving a warning there. Hey, be careful. I mentioned in this this morning's message about my friend, big bowl of really spicy Indian condiment put on the table. Hey, that's flaming hot, be careful. And he gets a spoon, he digs it in, and I said, no, wait a minute. She said, the waitress said, that is really, really hot. Why did I say that? Because I'm warning him. See, at that moment, silence is not golden. <laughs> right? You're gonna feel really bad if he sticks that spoon in his mouth and then you laugh and you say, well, didn't you hear, she said it was hot? No. no. Why didn't you say something, right? There is a time to say something. Um, if you have teens, teen children at home, if you have young adult children at home, You realize that waiting, whether to say something or not, that takes a lot of wisdom. Because the answer is not always to say something, but the answer's not always to be silent. Sometimes we need to warn people, hey, watch out, beware, pay attention. That isn't safe. So our words silence, there's a time for silence. There's words that signal. There's words that straighten out, that, that rebuke, that say, hey, this is how you're going to correct things. There's words of rebuke. A similar thought is in our text from this morning where we are to exhort one another daily. Straighten things out. I think Christina was referring to that. Sometimes I'll meet a couple and they've got a problem and, you know, I do know how to straighten that out. I know exactly what the Bible says. So let me tell you what the Bible says. I want to fix this problem. Not every problem is fixable. And when we're not sure, better to be silent than to just throw out words to no purpose, but when the Bible's clear about something and we know the answer, we should straighten things out, speak up, rebuke. There's a fourth thing, silence, to signal, to straighten out, and then we want to say words that strengthen people. I mentioned earlier Ephesians 4.29 that tells us not to speak corrupt communication but to speak those words that edify, that build up, that minister grace to the hearer. I want each one of us, well, maybe, yeah, let me just challenge each one of us to look for opportunities to say words that strengthen each other. Words that strengthen your spouse. Words that strengthen your children. Words that strengthen your parents or your grandchildren. Words that strengthen other members. Words that strengthen your your neighbor. Say things that build them up. Say congratulations. When something goes, they, they they do something. Now, I'm not a big fan of everybody gets a medal and everyone gets an award, but they really do something well. Hey, congratulations. If if your neighbor were to come, for example, your neighbor come and say, hey, I'm expecting a baby. The wrong thing to say is, oh, you know, your relationship with your husband is so bad. I just don't see how this is gonna work. <laughs> That's not the right thing to say. It may be true that you don't see how it's gonna work, but. I think better to say congratulations. You know, God's granted you a new life. What are you going to do with that? (laughs) Maybe maybe you and your husband should come to church and we, we can help you strengthen your marriage so that when this baby comes, you're ready. I mean, there's good things to say that we can strengthen each other with. It's really easy to cut people down. The Bible, we call it sarcasm. The Bible calls it scorning. That's really easy. Sarcasm comes really easy sincerity is hard but I tell you what sincerity beats sarcasm every single time now every once in a while someone will say something sarcastic that catches my attention and I can learn from that okay yeah I see what you're saying but I'd rather them just be sincere and tell me what they're really thinking than be sarcastic so find ways to strengthen each other let me especially encourage those of you who are married you have spouses find words that strengthen your spouse to build your spouse up. It's easy to tear your spouse down with careless words, especially in the moment you come into a situation and you're already tired and now life has just gotten a lot worse. Find words that strengthen rather than words that tear down. Words that support, words that give hope. Proverbs twelve twenty five talks about a good word making a heart glad. Have you noticed how many people have little or no hope today? I mean, their hope is just to get through the next day. And God's word has lots of hope for the future. Now, we have to follow him. I understand that. Don't give people false hope that everything's going to be all right, because it's not. They're not Christians. Everything's not going to be all right. But there is always hope in Jesus Christ. And I appreciate what Nan had to say about her extended family members. What they need is they need Jesus whether they need salvation or maybe they're saved and they've been walking away from Him, they're not going to find love and joy and peace and goodness and faith and temperance outside of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. So find words that support. And then I'm going to use a word here that I I know I'm using out out of place, but I'll give you the right word. Think of words that spark people. That is words that motivate people to go in the right direction. As a young person, I really enjoyed, and I still enjoy th- this type of preaching, but especially as a young person, I enjoyed preaching that motivated me to do what the Bible called me to do. Not the type of preaching where at the end you go, yes, that's right, we should so- do something. No, 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 not that type of preaching where you just get excited, but you're not sure. Where the preacher's really clear. We need to forgive each other. You're right. I- I'm going to go and I'm going to forgive everybody. And then it's hard. I get it. But at least you're motivated to go in the right direction. Let's find words that that spark people, that motivate people, that cast a vision for what they ought to do. Now, I want to show all of these to you in Acts chapter 2. So take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2 with me. And uh, someone tell me while we're turning there, someone tell me what famous event happens in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, the Holy Spirit comes down on which day? Pentecost, And he... Gives the uh, apostles the ability to speak in tongues, and that's good too. But we're going to look at what Peter says to the crowd that's gathered, and we're going to see all six of these in this chapter. The first one is silence. You know where we see silence in Acts chapter 2? Look at verse 1 with me. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it's a reminder that for the previous 10 days they had been meeting to pray. They weren't preaching until they were done praying. They didn't, they didn't start speaking until they had the Holy Spirit. Now, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit from the day of, uh, of our salvation. So please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say here. But you know, if, if you've been a Christian any, any length of time, you know that there are times when the Holy Spirit clearly directs you to say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are other times the Holy Spirit clearly directs you to say nothing. And the problem is, I want to say something when the Holy Spirit says, no, no, this isn't the right time. And then when the Holy Spirit says, here's your opportunity, as uh, Marcus shared with us, we're always, oh, I don't really want to talk to him. I don't really want to talk to her. Right? Staying in tune with the Holy Spirit means that we, we are going to wait on the Lord. Prayer. Patience. Long-suffering with people. So that Silence. The next thing we hear is that rebuke that I talked about, straightening people out. Look with me at verse 23. Acts 2, 23. Now Peter is preaching. He says, him, that's Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He's making an accusation there. He's saying, you guys killed Jesus. That's rebuke. Now, How many people were saved on the day of Pentecost? The Bible says 3,000. So let's guess that there were more than 3,000 people there. Mm -hmm. Imagine you have a crowd of four or 5,000 people. Would you accuse them of murder? (laughs) What if they don't like that? They might beat you up, they might beat you to death. I mean, they just killed Jesus. What would keep them from killing you? Seriously, this is a bold move by Peter to rebuke. Why does Peter do it? Because he's filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit's led him to rebuke. So when rebuke is called for, and boy, of all these six that that we do, rebuke is the hardest for me. To say, hey, you're wrong. No, listen, I can assure you the Bible says something different than what you're thinking. But rebuke is necessary. He rebukes them. You killed Jesus. He strengthens them. Look at verses 30 through 32 with me. He's going to explain to them. He's going to give them instruction that will strengthen their faith. He says, the, Therefore, this is verse 30 of Acts 2. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus God hath raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. He's saying to this crowd that's killed Jesus, he said, you've heard the prophecy that David writes down in the Psalms, how the Holy One won't see corruption. That's not about David, Peter says. That's about Jesus. You know how we know, he says, because the apostles, these 10 other guys standing here with me, 11, if you count the newest one, he said, these other guys standing here with me, we saw the risen Jesus. Instruction. He's straightening them out. He's He's strengthening them. Then what he does is he wants to motivate them. He wants them to do something. So look at verse 38 with me. And I know this is in a different order than I gave you. But in Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. These people, these thousands of people had seen... The effect of the Holy Ghost on the apostles. And now he says, listen, you too can have this Holy Spirit. He mentions in another uh, sermon, Peter mentions in another sermon in Acts, you too can experience the times of refreshing that come from the Spirit. He's motivating them. He's he's giving them, uh, uh, he's, he's pushing them in the right direction. Let's cast a vision in the right direction for people. It's easy to just say, yeah, that's bad. Don't do that. Okay, but what should they do? And why should they do it? Motivating people. Next, uh, support. He gives them hope. I mentioned here in verse 38 that he says, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children. The words of hope. You don't have to continue in this path you're in. You You have a choice. And then he says in verse 40, save yourselves. From this untoward, this perverse generation. Save yourselves, he says. He's warning them, you're going the wrong way. You've got to save yourself. So these are some ways that we can use our words correctly. Here's the last thing I want to remind us. And that is, whenever we speak, what we say ought to be to God's glory. As I'm getting ready to give advice sometimes, or I'm getting ready to warn or rebuke sometimes, the Holy Spirit reminds me, now, there's a way you would like to do it. And there's a way that God will get glorified for it. My wife is, is such a sweet lady. Sometimes I'll be talking about it, just say, that's just what a dean would say. She's, that's not really a compliment. She's warning me. That's the way your flesh, that's the way your personality is. Bent by sin wants to handle this. Maybe there's a better way to say it. And often it's not that we should not say anything. It's that we need to make sure our aim is the glory of God and not just getting it off my chest. Not just letting somebody know how I feel. Maybe you are one of those people. You say, well, I just tell it like it is. Well, that's not always the way God wants you to tell it. The way you see it, the way you feel about it, So when we speak, let's make sure that our words are intended to glorify God, not to defend myself, not to make myself look good, not to make the other person feel bad, not to manipulate the other person into doing what I think they ought to do. If there's something I think God wants them to do, I should just present it that way. What does God say about that? Rather than try to manipulate them, push them this way or that way, use our words so that God is glorified. Now, I said one last thing, but that's about us. Now let me show you one thing in James, and we'll be done. James chapter 3 and verse 8. James chapter 3 and verse 8. You've heard this verse before. It says this, but the tongue can no man take. Verse 7, for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents, And if things in the sea is tamed and have been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. Well, if no man can tame the tongue, what's the answer? Yeah, God's grace. God can tame our tongue. The Holy Spirit can tame my tongue. I I can't. Trying in my own strength, I'm going to do better. I'm going to not say those things anymore. No, no, no. God, you're going to have to help me. I can't do this on my own. I appreciate John's heart Expressed in his Sunday school lesson today, part of the church, the most, the most serious problem in the Church of Laodicea was they said, "We're good, we got this, we're rich, we don't have need of anything," and God says, "You're naked, and you're blind, and you're wretched." When we come into a situation thinking, "I got this, I know exactly what I need to say," that's usually when we end up sticking our foot in our mouth. Hmm, When we say, "God." I know something needs to be said here. I don't know what it is, but I wanted to glorify you and you give me wisdom and, we're, and we are responsive to the Holy Spirit. Then he can tame our tongue, Take away that sarcasm that we're so quick to, to, to use. Take away the hurtful words, the corrupt communication that it just comes so easily to us and replace it with sweet words, kind words, encouraging words, strengthening words. You cannot imagine what god could do with our church if all of us could learn to respond to the holy spirit and use our mouths for god's glory rather than just to fulfill our own thoughts and plans so let's do that this week let's look for opportunities to say what the holy spirit wants us to say whether it's at that conversation at work it's in your home to your children it's over the back fence with the neighbor it's to the person you just rear-ended on the road Let's ask God for wisdom to know what to say in those moments. When a friend comes to us for advice and counsel, God, what do you want me to say? How can you be glorified in this? Not just what can I do. Father, thank you for giving us tongues. It's amazing to me that of all the created animals, none of them speaks as man speaks. Yes, dolphins communicate, monkeys give signals, but they don't discuss the deep things of theology. Of life, like humans do. We thank you for this ability to speak. We're thankful that you're a God who is personable and you communicate to us through words, the words of your scripture. And you hear our prayers as we express our prayers in words to you. We're thankful. We ask that our words this week would signal and strengthen and straighten out and spark as needed, that we would be silent. And you want us to be silent, we learn what it is to respond to your Holy Spirit. Help us to see that we cannot tame our tongues. But you, by your power, with your with all your grace, with your Holy Spirit directing us, you can bring our tongue into submission to your plan. May our marriages be strengthened because we have the right words to say. And may our families be strengthened because we have the right words to say. And may our communities be strengthened because we have the right words to say. And may our workplaces. Be strengthened because we have the right words to say. Like Joseph said, not because we know, but because there's a God in heaven who knows. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.